Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Matt, the music minister here. Glad to have you with us. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet as we prepare to worship the Lord through song. And as a way to call us to worship, to help fix our minds upon God and fix our hearts upon God this morning, uh, allow me to read the scriptures. This is God's holy word. This is Colossians 1 verse 9. It says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love this line right here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us for the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. In him, we have redemption for forgiveness of sins. We have been transferred into the glorious kingdom of God this morning, and so let's, we have a reason to sing, so let's sing together. Amen. God, you are worthy of all of our praise, all the songs that we sing, the thoughts that we think. Let's sing together. The cross, our way to freedom. The cross, our right to bear. But God, so rich in mercy, took our place and saved us there. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Lift him high for all to see. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free. Sing our King. Our King who reigns victorious now sits upon his throne forever he is worshipped glory to our god alone lift him high all praise to jesus lift him high for all to When mercy died to set us free. We adore him this morning. And all the saints adore you. Heaven bows before you. Worthy is the great I am. And all the saints adore you. Heaven bows before you. Worthy is the great I am. Sing that again. And all the saints adore you, heaven bows before you, worthy is the great I am. And all the saints adore you, heaven bows before you, worthy is the great I am. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus, lift him high for all to see. 
May we follow you in all that we do. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Good morning. Welcome to University Baptist Church. My name is Mason Law, and we are so excited to have you here this morning. If you are a member or a first-time guest, it is such an honor to have you, and it's a privilege just to worship the Lord this morning. Now, if you are a first-time guest, it's okay. Be comfortable. We're going to have a good time. And so what I want to say is that if we want to connect with you, and through that, 
on the front of the pews, you look, there's a connect card. And if we would love for you to fill out that information because here at UBC, we believe in community and we believe in family. So fill that out, give us your information, or either if you'd like me, you can use your cell phone uh, to the number on the screen. And that way, uh, like I said, we would have a staff member contact you and we just want the experience to be great. Also, if you have your bulletin, if you look through that, we have a variety of events coming up this week. Uh, one of the first ones we're going to look at is that this Wednesday, we are going to have an all-church prayer meeting in the chapel room. Now, that is the room right across from here, 6 o'clock on Wednesday. And what we're going to do, we're going to go in there. Jeremiah will lead us in worship, prayer. And it's a great time just for the body of Christ to come together and just to worship the Lord. The next thing we're going to do is going to be on Friday night, the early learning uh, center staff is going to put on a family fine arts night. And so this is a chance for the UBC community to engage with the Fort Worth community and to invite them here and for us just have a great time with art, food, uh, just any type of game. So invite your neighbors, bring your family. If you want to volunteer, talk to April or Trish. We would love for them to come. We would love for you to volunteer. So feel free to come Friday night at 5 o'clock. The last thing I want to talk to you about is that uh, I'm going to do a college plug right now. If you look at down the hallway, there are buckets that say college care package drop-offs. Uh, we need supplies. Uh, that goes through next week. And what we do is that we send supplies, we send care packages to college students who are from UBC. And it's to say that even though you are away, even though... Uh, finals are stressful, we still care about you here. And so when you're stressing a little bit, uh, maybe that mac and cheese and that popcorn will make you feel a little better. So uh, we would love for you to drop that off um, until next Sunday, and that would just be an honor and a privilege for that. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then after that, you are welcome to stand up, and then we'll have the, kill, the children come forth. Dear God, uh, just thank you so much for today. Lord, you are just have allowed us to come and community once again, and that is such a blessing. Father, we praise you and we thank you just for the worship that we um, are singing out today, not just with our mouths, but with our hearts. God, just thank you so much, and we pray that as Jeremiah brings the message that we would just grasp that and you would allow that um, to, just, to just come into us and allow us to just grasp it and to understand a more full version of who you are and what you did on that cross. We praise you and thank you for all that you've done. Amen. Children, can come forward, stand, and greet one another. All right, you can go ahead and make your way back to your seats. And Ms. Trisha Ryan's going to lead us in our children's time this morning. Hi, friends. Can everybody eyes on me? 
Now, last week we talked about different idols, things that take up our time. So this week I want us to talk about, I'm going to ask you a question. You can sit down. Um, this week I want to ask you a question. What do you like to do when you are not busy? When you are not busy? Read. Read. Play. Play with my friends. Study for um, something at school. What? Draw. I like to rollerblade with my friend. Rollerblade. Oh, you guys do some fun things when you're not busy. What about you, Luke? Ballroom dance. I heard about you. I heard that you are rocking that. So these are all really cool things that you like to do when you're not busy. I think those are really good things when we're not busy. Are you, are you busy a lot? No, you're not busy a lot? I think when we were talking last week, you said that things that take up your time are school. School takes up a lot of your time. I think sports probably take up a lot of your time. Um, when we're busy, we don't find a whole lot of rest, right? Because the opposite of being busy is rest. And we rest in different ways. Like you guys said, you rollerblade, you spend time reading, you hang out with your friends, you ballroom dance. Those are all really fun activities. And those are things that help give us energy and help give us kind of a peace, which is it's an interesting thing that those are things that keep us busy. But I'm not asking those are things that keep us happy, right, and joyful. So when you think about not being busy and the things that you do, those are things that you really enjoy. And so God promises us this, and he says that he gives us rest. And so Abigail is said she was going to help me read this, and it's found in Psalm 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be and once he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for my name of sake. So there's one thing that I want us to look at. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Do you think that the things that he gives us to do that w make us joyful when we're not busy, all those things that you said, I think that those might be our quiet waters. He provides us things that give us joy and things that we do when we're not busy so to restore our souls. He, he gives us those things to restore our souls, which means that it fills us up. It makes us be able to go back to school and to do those things that maybe we have to do. And it says that the Lord is my shepherd, and he does that because he cares for us. So this week, when you do things that you like to do that when you're not busy, remember to thank God for them. Thank God for giving you ballroom dancing and reading books and rollerblading and friends. Make sure that you thank God for those things because that's how he's restoring our soul, okay? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd and that you lead us beside still waters, Father, that we can be restored by you because you are our peace and our joy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
together and continue in worship. I think that's a message that we all need to hear. In the busyness of life, when things aren't going the way that we want it to go, just to be still and know that God is in control, that he's sovereign over all things. Let's sing this together. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know. His voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. I rest in you I found my hope in you I trust you never let me go I place my life within your hands alone be still my soul be still my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow for God, those purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed we shall meet at last. In you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you I trust. You never my life within your hands alone. Be still, my soul, in you I rest, in you 
Matt, the rest of the worship leaders, choir. What a wonderful truth for us to reflect upon and, and consider this morning. How is everyone this morning? Doing well? It's good to see you all. Glad you could be here with us this, this fine Sunday morning. Now, I don't know if, if I'm alone in this, but uh, I feel like for most of us, Sunday morning comes with a certain pace, doesn't it? Kind of a certain rhythm to life, and for a variety of different reasons. Granted, we all have different responsibilities and, and things that we have commitments to on a Sunday morning, but, but most of us, if you're here today, we, we have this similar commitment of trying to be to church, right? And so when you wake up on Sunday morning, there's a certain pace, whether that's how you get ready, uh, what you do for breakfast, how you get to church. For some of us, we, we come here at nine o'clock for the Bible study hour, and so then you have certain commitments, responsibilities, obligations, conversations that you have to have, then you get into the 10.30 service, and, and this service itself has a certain pace to it, doesn't it? And, and we kind of have a certain feel as we go through the service. And at some point, uh, you're probably going to sit there and think about what you have to do after this service, right? Who you're going to lunch with, and what else you have to do after lunch, and things you need to get done at home, and things you want to get accomplished this weekend, because we all know that Monday is coming, right? There's a certain pace to Sunday, and, and the challenge with that is that when we give in to that pace, it, it lends us to, to be in a posture where we, we fail to be able to be in just the present moment. And we miss certain things. And, and this moment that we're in right now is something that we just need to stop and consider what this is really for. Right, that we have the opportunity to come and sing praises to an almighty God. We have a chance to hear the ancient writings of his word that have literally been passed down for thousands of years. So here is my request. My, my request as we begin today is to bring application into the song we just sung. I want you to quiet your heart. I want you to quiet your mind. I want you to be present. I want you to be still so that we can know that he is God. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that too many times we come into this room ready to move on to the next moment. So help us be present, Father. Send your spirit to guide us. Send your spirit to lead us. Help us to, to acknowledge and to see the beauty and the power of being in your midst. That we would worship you fully, spirit and truth. Father, for those of us that come in here with a frantic pace, that we could silence ourselves and just be. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to convene with the saints and to be still and to know once again that you are God. So we pray these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I wonder how I got here, the chaos, the mess, the failing, 
and I strategize how to make tomorrow better. This is just a season and it will pass, but is it and will it? I suppose the seasons have been different, whether it was adolescence or insecurity or exams or finances or breakups or stressful jobs or moves or pregnancies or anxiety or babies or hard relationships or traveling or sickness or parenting or just sheer exhaustion. But so often it's just one thing replacing another thing, another fire to put out, another mountain to climb. And as a doer and a fixer, the to-do list is never ending, and there's always something to improve or put back together. I can do this. Just tweak the schedule, get up a little earlier, simplify, reorganize, streamline, plan better, focus, pare down, clear out, divide, and conquer. Tomorrow will be better. This is an excerpt written by Bonnie McKernan that showed up on the Desiring God blog back in 2016. Sound familiar to anyone? Right? It's a, it's a snapshot, a picture of busyness. Right? And, and granted, it's a pretty broad canvas because all of us have an experience with being busy in, in a couple of different ways. For some of us, it's driven by school. Sometimes it's driven by our careers, by relationships, by family, by parenting. And so all of us have experienced this, this, the clutches, I guess you could say, of what it means to be busy. Right? And it happens in a lot of different settings and in a lot of different circumstances. And it's because it's so pervasive and it's because it's so prolific in our culture and our society that uh, I identified it as one of the idols that we needed to address. Now, I'll get to that here in a second, but let me back up a little bit and give you a little bit of context in case you're a visitor with us today. Two weeks ago, we started this new series that we're referring to as Worthless Worship, a look at modern-day idols. And we built this, this series off of this key verse that we find in 2 Kings chapter 17. And when we introduced this concept, we, we took ourselves all the way back to creation, Right, that the question that really drove the conversation was, why are we created in the first place? Like, what, why do we even exist? And what we see is that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our creator. Right? The reason we exist is to reflect that image and to reveal who he is. We are essentially made for worship. And so the, the distortion of that, what idolatry does, is it comes and it redirects our devotion, our focus, our efforts towards other Things And so 2 Kings 17 talks about the culmination of those things that says we worship worthless idols and we ourselves become worthless. See, idolatry steals away the design that we were given, right? The very purpose that was entrusted to us. As I, as I quoted Je- Jeffrey Satin over a couple weeks ago, the trick of idolatry is to get us to give more and more while giving less and less until it demands everything and gives nothing, right? We, we rob ourselves of what we were created to be Right? We rob ourselves of the purpose that God instilled with us, and we ourselves then become worthless. It's less than the fulfilling life that God designed for us. We, we kind of transform into the object of our worship. And so we, we established that foundation, and last week we talked about technology. Right? Now, granted, the trick with idolatry is that on the surface, they're good. Right? There's a healthy way to use technology that can be uh, powerful, it can be beneficial, but when it becomes everything, or we give it too much of our time, our devotion, it robs us of certain things, right? And so we, we talked about that last week, and so busyness has a similar feel to it, okay? Because busyness is, in many ways, unavoidable, right? Depending on the season of life and different things you're committed to, all of us are going to find ourselves being busy at some point or another, right? And sometimes that busyness is driven by noble causes or good reasons in a, in a, in a worthy investment or effort, Right? And so, so the reality is, though, is that we need to get to the heart behind the busyness. We need to figure out why we find ourselves being so busy from time to time. 
And what you begin to see, especially as you read different commentaries on this subject or different articles on this subject, is that what I think we can all recognize is that our society has really kind of made busyness into being a symbol of status, right? We, we've kind of replaced the question of how are you doing? We no longer say fine, we say busy. And there's a reason behind it. Right, there was an article in The Atlantic back in 2017 that talked about how this has become such a, a status symbol for us that in addition to comparing the homes and the cars and the fancy watches that reveal our importance now, we feel that busyness somehow justifies our self-worth because it's a reflection of how in demand we are, right? that our time is precious. And so the more busy or the busier that I am, then somehow that means I'm more worthy, Right? I've got a greater sense of self-worth. And so even if we're committing ourselves to unproductive things, we find ourselves being busy because it somehow validates our understanding of ourself and our worth. Now, what's ironic about it is that most people you talk to don't want to be busy. Right? We, we would all love to not be as busy as we are when we go through those seasons, but, but we can't seem to help it. So this seems to be the idol that, that nobody really wants but we all can't seem to let go of either. So it kind of has this, this weird, alluring capturing of us. Now, another caveat to this whole idolatry conversation that I offered a couple weeks ago is once again, when we have these conversations, hear me, this is, this is not a, a message of, of being in a, delivered in a condescending tone. Uh, this is confessional, right? As I've said every week, this, these are things I struggle with. And of all the ones on the list that we'll go through, this is the one I struggle with the most. Case in point, on Friday I was at home and I had my laptop up. It was about mid-morning. Annabelle was home from school. She wasn't feeling good. So we were all sitting in the kitchen and I was just kind of trying to compile my notes, different things I'd read through the course of the week. And I was reading these quotes out loud to Jennifer. And at one point as, as I was reading, she stopped. She goes, now what, what are you preaching on again? And I said, busyness. And she stopped. She goes, you're preaching on busyness? Yes, as he closed his computer and slides it astray, right? Like, uh-huh, you know, but I told her. I was like, well, I'm not saying. I got it all figured out, right? So, so hear me. This is confessional. I, I struggle with this. And the other, other thing I want to say as a caveat as we begin today, I'm not going to cite too many personal examples of busyness because it has that weird status symbol feature to it. I don't want you to hear, oh, look at me. I'm busy, right? The reality is, is that we're all busy in different ways, and in different seasons, okay? And so we'll, we'll look at this from different angles and really drive home at what the heart is behind it and what it is that we really need to strive for. Uh, one other recommendation, I've got a, the picture of the book that, that I've read this past week that I would also recommend on this subject. It's called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it kind of has a similar tone. He doesn't have it figured out either, but he has some good insights, some good pointers through the book. If you're looking for something to read, on this subject, I'd recommend it. I'll, I'll quote him occasionally throughout today's message in addition to a few other articles and a few other things that, that kind of highlight this issue, okay? And so several things to discuss there. Now, one of the things that Kevin DeYoung points out that I think makes it for a natural transition for us is that technology, as we talked about it, can be somewhat addictive, is also somewhat emblematic of our propensity towards busyness, right? Like we just constantly need to have something to do. And, and he had a couple of great quotes that talked about the way in which that impacts us. He says, how many of us feel this strange mix of busyness and lifelessness? We're always engaged with our thumbs, but rarely engaged with our thoughts. 
We keep downloading information, but rarely get down into the depths of our hearts. It's purposelessness disguised as constant commotion. Many of us are less busy than we think, but life feels constantly overwhelming because our days and weeks and years have no rhythm. One of the dangers of technology is that we work and rest, and they blend together in a confusing mush. We never quite leave work when we're at home, so the next day we have a hard time getting back to work when we're at work. We have no routine, no order to our days, and we are completely on and never totally off. Right? Again, the, the use of technology kind of weaves itself into this, this idol of busyness. Right? We're constantly engaged in some level. And what I love that he points out is the need for rhythm. Right? That's really... What we're going to talk about is how is it that we find rhythm in the midst of this constant demand of busyness, okay? So let's first, like I said last week, we're going to dive into the issue itself before we get to the scripture. So hang with me for a little bit. Let's, Let's take a closer look at the problem of busyness. Well, the first thing that we see is that really is a way of life in our society, right? Numerous studies have been done to indicate just how much our society, American society in particular, is is committed to work. Uh, I believe when you compare us to our European counterparts, the average workday in America is about two hours longer than most of the European countries. Right? We average almost a nine-hour workday. Well, that's, that's in a 24-hour period. If you kind of stretch that out over an entire year, that adds up and has a cumulative effect. In fact, there's this really sobering comparison to Norway. And in Norway, let me say this as I begin to this comparison, is known for its work ethic and its quality of life. But, but here's what you see in Norway. The average worker in Norway has around 70 vacation days. 70 vacation days in Norway. Side note, we're praying about a church plant in Norway. I'd be happy to go lead us. So just join me in those prayer efforts, all right? We'll see where the Lord leads. 70 vacation days. It means that we work on average about 14 more weeks in a given year than our counterparts in Norway, all right? So we love to work. Right, though we have so many benefits and we have this, this affluent um, opportunity, we love to just fill up our time with work. But, but what's interesting is, is that it's not just the literal working that makes us busy. Right? Sometimes we feel busy even though we aren't really. Right? There is this article in Forbes magazine that talked about uh, all the different ways that the, the desire to be busy is impacting people. And it looked at this study from the University of Chicago. And they talked about that it's, it's such a status symbol now that really people are choosing to be busy because they fear inactivity. They don't know how to just be still, right? There, there's this fear of a perception of laziness or fear of failure, so they just busy themselves even if it's not productive, even if it doesn't really result in anything tangible. And so in that, that article in Forbes magazine, they quoted another study from the Journal of Science. This was really interesting to me. That, that they took these subjects and they put them in a room and they had them sit down for 15 minutes just by themselves. And at the end of the 15 minutes, they came back and they asked all the participants how they felt about it. And the majority of them said that they didn't enjoy it, right? They didn't enjoy sitting by themselves for 15 minutes. Well, in a subsequent study, they brought these people back and they started by administering an electric shock to them, which is a very interesting study to be a part of, right? But they, they gave them an electric shock and it was painful enough that they, they followed up and said, would you be willing to pay money to not be shocked again. And they all, the majority, the vast majority said, yes, we would. So it was that painful, right? I'd actually pay you to not do that to me again. Well, then they took those same participants, put them in the room again, told them to wait for 15 minutes, but left that contraption in there that would give them an electric shock. More than half shocked themselves again, right? And so the article was, was making this point 
that these folks were so unable to just sit and be still, they would actually choose to inflict harm on themselves than just be still for 15 minutes. It's this fear of inactivity, right? And I think we can all empathize with it, right? I mean, I know for me, I can't sit at a red light before going, oh, I need to check and see if I got something on my phone. Are we getting a checkout line at a grocery store? Oh, I need to answer this message. I need to see what text came through. And we just have this constant commotion, right? This constant busyness everywhere we turn. And it's taking its toll, right? It's actually impacting us physically in a lot of different ways. You, you see it, uh, one, very tangible ways in sleep habits and sleep patterns. Uh, I think it's in Kevin Young's book where he points out a study that the average American today sleeps two and a half hours less than we did a century ago. So we're getting less sleep, and I think it was a third of Americans actually sleep less than six hours a night. So, so flirting with sleep deprivation on a lot of levels. Now, that's important. Why? Because sleep impacts us both physically and emotionally, doesn't it? Right? And we see this most often with children, right? It's very easy. I know for me, if I'm tired, I tend to be cranky, right? And so I've seen this play itself out with parenting as well. Now, my kids have different sleep habits. Uh, Annabelle is the one that like her head hits the pillow and she's done, right? Like she's out. Uh, James is like me. Uh, If something else is going on, he's like, "Uh, what's up? Can I come back out? I got one more question, right? He's got one more thing I want to say. No, I'll go back to bed here in a little bit. And he stays up late, and then he's usually the first one up. And so there, there have been nights where he hasn't gotten much sleep. And, and so you tend to be able to see this in children pretty easily. Like first thing in the morning, you have a child walk in, you pour them a bowl of cereal, like, hey, man, here's your breakfast, your cereal. And they just have that look like, I don't want cereal. And you just know, like, you're in for it. You know, it's going to be a tough Day. And so I used to have this phrase with James where I would say, listen, sleep makes us healthy and happy, right? That's why you need to sleep. And, and we used to have it. Like, it's, it's sometimes difficult to see how good we had it as kids. Like, you ever think back to how great it was in preschool? Like, in preschool, in the middle of the day, they made you take a nap and then gave you pudding afterwards. And I hated it when I was in preschool, right? Like, I hated that. But now I'm like, every workplace in the middle of the day should make everyone nap and then give us pudding. I just think it would be a lot better, don't you? Maybe we'll work on that here. So, so we need this rhythm, right? We need the sleep and this rest. And, and without it, it begins to create this stress, this anxiety, this crankiness. It, it actually leads us to being irritable. And that really begins to change our disposition. Well, stress is also on the rise, the American Psychology Association has been doing this survey since 2007, and they indicated that most Americans would say that they recognize their stress level is in an unhealthy place. But when followed up and asked, well, what are you doing to manage that stress? The majority answer is, well, nothing, I'm too busy. Right? It's this cycle. I'm stressed because I'm busy, but I can't do anything about my stress because I'm busy. Right? And so we stay in this perpetual cycle, and it's impacting us on a very significant way, even physically. Listen to this one quote. This comes from Dr. Susan Coven, who practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. And in 2013, she wrote a column in the Boston Globe. Here's what she says. In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, Irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, back pain, weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness, right? It's impacting us physically, right? And we see it because we're going at a pace that we can't 
sustain. And yet the greatest risk is not really physical, but spiritual, right? What it does to us emotionally. And even the secular world has picked up on this. There was this article, again, in Forbes magazine that talked about just the, the, the false promise of multitasking, that the more you multitask, you think you're getting more done when, in fact, your productivity goes down. Uh, you're, you're less productive. And so one of their recommendations was to practice mindfulness. Now, if you read through the article, essentially what they're defining as mindfulness is meditation, right? It's what we would call prayer. And they talked about how just taking that time out of your day to eliminate moving from one activity to the next, right, to to focus your thoughts, not just bounce all over the place, actually makes you more productive. It actually helps with brain development and growth. And so we fall into this trap, well, I need to do this while doing this and multitask and all these things, and we're becoming less productive, when really, in order to be better and more efficient, we need to stop and slow down, right? That's what we were designed to do. So it's, it's impacting us spiritually in a very significant way. And as believers, we need to give great consideration to this. Because what are we called to be known for, right? We're, we're called to exhibit love, joy, peace, Patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, right? These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what should be evident in our life. But when we give ourselves into a busy schedule, that's not what we portray. And so one of the first things that busyness is going to attack is joy. And as soon as we're robbed of those manifestations and those fruits, we struggle to reveal our Creator. We struggle to worship and reflect the very thing we were designed to do. So we have to address this issue very intentionally. Now here's, here's the risk though. You begin a conversation on busyness and the tendency is to think that the antidote is to just clear your schedule and do nothing, right? Well, the call is not towards laziness. The call is not to just constant rest, right? The Bible commends work, right? It, it advocates for solid work, working hard. Okay, so that's not the direction we're going. Here's where we're going. We're going towards rhythm. What's the rhythm in your life? See, we were created to have a certain rhythm, right? And when we eliminate that, things go awry, right? We rob ourselves from the very purpose for which we were created, right? This rhythm is evident even in the way that God creates things, right? That he creates the moon, the stars, all of the glory of creation. And then on the seventh day, what does he do? He rests. And he interjects that into our existence as well, that we would have this regular rest. So, so maybe some of you are sitting out there going, yeah, I hear you, but I don't fully empathize. Man, I'm retired now. The kids are gone. Like, I'm not that busy. Okay. The question remains, what's your rhythm? Where are you finding that intentional moment to connect and to be with your creator? Others of you, man, you're, you're resonating with me. You're like, preach on, man, save me, right? My schedule is out of control. I need some form of reprieve. I need something to set me free. The question's the same. What's your rhythm? Right, that's what it is that we need to figure out is how do we bring this rhythm into our life so that we can reorient ourselves, breaking us free from the problem of busyness and to worship the Lord as we were created and we to worship. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm 23 and take a look at one of the most compelling passages that gives us an insight as to how that can be accomplished. 
Psalm 23, starting in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I was probably in junior high, maybe late elementary school, when my grandmother came to all of her grandkids and and made us memorize Psalm 23. And that was probably one of my first introductions to to the Psalms as a whole, and and also probably my first introduction to realize just how prolific and how prevalent this Psalm is in just everyday life and how well-known it is. And there's a reason it is so well-known, because the, the Hebrew translates so poetically into the English. Right? I mean, it just, it just has something about it that draws us into it. It has such a natural feel to it. There's this simplicity that really doesn't require interpretation, does it? Right? It just speaks to us without even having to, to really dig in and have to know it. And yet, with that simplicity is this amazing depth. Right? There's so much um, to be seen here. There's so much complexity, so many different angles in which we could attack and learn what these truths are in Psalm 23. So while there are different angles that we could take this morning, the one I want us to focus in on is this need for rhythm, this need for rest. And so the first thing I want us to to identify with the beauty of Psalm 23 is that opening line, the Lord is my shepherd. Now that probably doesn't hit us like it would in its original writing and for its original hearers. The reason is that you and I, we live in a pretty individualistic society, don't we? We love the individual. We celebrate the individual. In fact, the majority of our worship songs are sung with those first-person pronouns. I, me, my, mine, over and over again, right? Well, well, the temptation or really the, the practice for ancient Israel would be to say the Lord is our shepherd. Right? They thought in community. They thought as a nation. So when you get to Psalm 23 and you see this personal reverence, the Lord is my shepherd, this becomes amazingly and uniquely intimate, and so that's one of the first things I want to point out about our conversation today. This, this conversation of busyness is about you. More than it's about us, this is about you and your intimate relationship with the Lord. And how do you foster that? And what does that look like? It's going to require that sort of introspection and that sort of evaluation of what, what am I doing in my own life? How do I know God in my own life? The Lord is my Shepherd, it's a very intimate psalm. And the first truth that it brings you to is not just intimacy, but this imagery of God, this metaphor of God being a shepherd. Now, when you think about the structure of Psalm 23, you'll see it in two distinct parts. The first four verses really carry home the shepherd theme. And then you get to verse five and six, and it kind of feels like there's this shift. Some scholars are gonna say that the shepherd theme continues. Others are gonna say it's, it's going to be more for a host. Others are gonna say it's more about this this banquet of thanksgiving, I don't know that it really matters. The message tends to be the same, right? But what you see in these first four verses is this shepherd imagery reminds us of the character of God, and then those last two verses kind of help us understand the motivation behind it. And so I kind of want to look at it in those two distinct parts. When you think about the fact that the Lord is our shepherd, this is a, 
a symbol, an image that's been attributed to him from the very beginning. Genesis 49, I believe, is the first time you see the Lord referred to as a shepherd. Right? When Jacob blesses his sons and he's got that prayer over Joseph, he refers to God as the shepherd and the rock of Israel. And so we see this constant image of who God is. A shepherd is one who what? Has authority. Right? One who takes care of, one who provides for. We see some tremendous elements about this. But what I want to point out in this, this title is that it reminds us of the character of God. See, that's one of the things that becomes disruptive with being too busy, is we forget who God is. When we don't have that rhythm in our life, we lose sight of the very nature and very character of God. Right? It kind of becomes like one of those, those friends that maybe you have from earlier in your life, and you'll see them, you'll cross paths, you'll be like, man, we need to get together. We need to hang out, right? And you try to work on finding time for coffee or lunch, and you just can't do it. And then all of a sudden, the stars align, and you find time to sit down, and you do, and it's just awesome. And you go, man, this is so great, and we need to do this more often than you leave, and then it, once again, it becomes difficult again. How many times is that descriptive of our relationship with the Lord? Right? We're like, oh, I, need, I know I need to spend time with you. I know I need to carve out this time, but I got this, I got that. We just, I just can't find the time. And then we finally do, and it's so fulfilling, it's so refreshing, but then we forget and we just move back into this pace. When we live that way, we forget who our God is. He is a shepherd. Now, what does that mean? Well, Psalm 23 reveals this metaphor by saying, the fact that we see that he is a shepherd reminds us that he is a provider and a protector. Right? Now think about those two things. Let's start with provision. Right? How does he provide for the psalmist? He says, I shall lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When we re-engage and have the rhythm in our life to commune with our Lord, we again, we again get to see the sufficiency of this gospel, the sufficiency of Christ, right? That, that a lot of times, if we're honest, we're busy because we feel like something's missing, right? We just need more of something. I need more money. I need more status. I need more control. I need more relationships. I need something else to fulfill me. And when we stop and come before the Lord, it's there that we get to see that we lack nothing because he's enough. He is our shepherd. He meets our every need. And the details of this are so poetic, right? He, he leads us to green pastures, makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us to still waters. He restores our soul. Right? Those green pastures are obviously where the sheep would stop and feed, but it was known to be a resting place, right? This was no longer part of the journey. This was a time to stop and to be filled. In fact, even quiet waters literally means resting place. Right, this is the opportunity for them to, to drink and the sheep to get their fill without rush. Right, so you see the imagery of this refreshment, this, this automatic time where we get to just sit and be in his presence. How many times do you and I take our relationship with the Lord and fill it as a task in busyness? Right, that we go to church, we go to Bible study, we go to accountability, we go to prayer meetings, we go to all these different things, but it's rushed. Right, that's the opposite of what you see in Psalm 23. This is a resting place. This is that intimate moment between just you and the Lord. Where do you find that and what does it look like? See, when we get to see that he gives us those moments of rest and he brings us into that, that resting place, these green pastures, these quiet waters, what happens? He restores our soul. 
Now, that word restore actually means return, right? It actually kind of calls us back into the heart of this gospel that there's been this separation in the relationship between us and the living God, and he wants to reconnect. He wants to bring us back. He has us return to him. He restores us. He refreshes us. And that, that word actually is, is not so much soul. It's actually saying he restores me emphatically. So a better translation would be just to say he restores me. This is more than just a spiritual fulfillment. It actually impacts us physically as well. It's a complete and total restoration. So he restores us in such an incredible and significant way. And when we see that sufficiency, we see that provision, then we also are reminded of his protection. Right? That now we get to see it's not just that he, he meets my needs, and it's not just that I see the sufficiency, but now I get to see that he's gonna protect me along the way. Right? He guides me on these right paths, this, these paths of righteousness, meaning they're straight. Right? There's, there's less deviation, less distraction of veering from one thing to the next, but there's a particular cause, there's a particular direction, there's an anchor, there's a focus upon which I'm walking, even if it takes me through the dark valleys. He's the one that guides me. And I can rest even in that fear, even in those moments, because I know his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod was the club that the shepherd would use to, to fight off any animals that might threaten the safety of the sheep. The staff had the hook on it so that it could veer the sheep back on path. Right? It, it's this, this picture of protection, right? that the sheep can rest even in the comfort, that even in those dark moments they know their shepherd is with them. It's this beautiful picture of being content. And so I, I look at this amazing declaration in these first four verses of Psalm 23, And you see that the character of our God is one who is a provider and a protector. But what really resonates with me are these verbs. He makes me lie down. Right? He's not suggesting it. He's not saying, hey, just consider it. He's like, no, you you have to. Right? He guides me. He leads me. See, that to me is where we get to the heart of busyness. Here's the question I want you to consider this morning. It's very simple. What's guiding you? What's leading you? Is it your schedule or your Lord? See, how many times do we try to invite him into our schedule, invite him into our lives, as opposed to just stopping letting him guide us and lead us? How many times do we miss the opportunities to serve him or to commune with him because, oh, is there going to be childcare? Right? Oh, I don't know if I'm free that night. Oh, no, I've already got a commitment. No, all these other things that are getting in the way, and we miss the opportunity just to be present in the midst of an almighty God. What's guiding you? Your schedule or your Lord? See, we need to create this rhythm. We need to, to peer, peel back the, the challenges of busyness and just be in his midst. Now, let me take a moment here before we get to verse five and six and say, well, how do we do that? And what, what does that look like? How is that accomplished? Well, to me, it's, it's pretty simple. Rest. Rest. And that's going to look different for each of us, isn't it? Like, like some of you tonight, you know what you really need to do? You just need to go home and go to bed earlier than you normally do. You need sleep. Some of you, you need to find time within your day. Right? You need to actually carve out that space to create that rhythm. Some of you need to look at your week and you need to make some phone calls and say, you know what, I can't do that after all. And you need to create that space. You need to create that opportunity to just be 
with him. Now, part of what we see here is this description that I heard a ton growing up, right? Once you become a believer, what do you need to do? Well, you need to have a quiet time. Can I just confess, I hate that phrase. It's not one that I really advocate for. Um, and, and I hate that it often implies just this checklist, right? Well, just spend 15 minutes a day and then everything's going to be great. Well, yes, yeah, spend 15 minutes or more, but, but it's, it's deeper than that, right? And so what I would argue is that you need to reflect upon and give evaluation to what is your intimacy, what does your relationship with the Lord look like, right? You can fill yourself up with church activities, and you can be busy serving, you can be busy going, you know what that is? That just makes you busy. It doesn't make you a better Christian. We're talking about those, to- those times, those moments that aren't seen, right? Those, those moments that nobody else is going to know about. What does that look like, right? This is that that commitment to understand that we need to be in the presence of an almighty God. We need to have that relationship on a very intimate and intentional level. What I love about the scriptures is that it says meditate on his word, right? It's not a task. It's not a checklist. It's an opportunity to stop and to listen. So some of you need to just evaluate where you are in life. And maybe you're not as busy, but you have no rhythm. You have no intentional time within your day, within your week, where you're just being alone with him. Whatever it is, we all need to stop and consider what is this rhythm and how do I pursue it? And the simple answer is choose rest. Say no to certain things. Understand the value of prioritizing. Jesus did it. Okay, I've got news for you. You're not busier than Jesus, right? None of us are. And yet what did he example, what was the example he gave for us? How many times did he say no? Did he heal everyone? Did he honor every teaching commitment? Did he show up at every dinner party? No, he maintained a focus. He said, I'm here for a particular reason. I'm going to stay on that focus. He still found time to withdraw and to pray on his own. He still found time just to recline at a table with friends, right? We have to maintain that same focus and understand that our purpose is to worship him, right? Our purpose is to commune with him. He is our shepherd, and we have to build in that rhythm into our life. So that's, that's how we do it. Let me, let me close with why. All right, let's get to verse five and six real quick and talk about why this is so important. I love the way that this begins. It does kind of feel like this shift where he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which once again just kind of reestablishes the assurance the psalmist has in the Lord's provision and protection. Right, even in the face of threats, even in the face of opposition, I know that you're going to provide for me. I know that you're going to be there. But what really stands out to me is that when it then says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows, right? It talks about this this blessing that is upon us when we convene and when we commune with the living God. In particular, the fact that the cup overflows. Now, this is not financially driven. This is not a material declaration. But what we need to see is that time with the Father always results in abundance, It's always more than we can imagine, more than we can think. He lavishes his love upon us. He is uh, able to show us something that is surpassing in anything that we could ever ask or imagine, right? It is this abundance. And how many times, because of our busyness, we're operating out of emptiness as opposed to overflow, right? So we're going into parenting exhausted. We're going into our jobs exhausted. We're going into ministry exhausted or to school or exams or relationships when what we really should be doing is going to those things out of the overflow of our heart. And the only way that that happens is if we stop and we achieve this rhythm. 
we create that time to be reminded of his provision and of his protection. Then we begin to bless others through the overflow, through the abundance of this gospel. Now, what is it that accomplishes that? What is it that fuels that? I love the way this psalm ends. This, to me, is what gives it its strength and its passion and its inspiration. When we stop and we see the character of our God and his provision and his protection, what do we declare? What do we see here at the end of the psalm? Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This is the moment in the psalm that feels more emphatic, right? It's this declaration, this realization that the psalmist has achieved. Goodness and love follow me. You know what the word follow actually means? It means pursue. When you stop and spend time with an almighty God, we get to be reawakened to the majesty of this gospel, that he has pursued you. Right, that the almighty creator left the comforts of heaven, took on flesh, and dwelt among us to reveal his goodness, to reveal his love in the person of Jesus Christ. And in that, in his willingness to even give his life on the cross and to conquer the grave, you and I have all that we need to know that we have his provision, we have his protection. He is more than enough because of what he has done for us. His goodness and his love will follow us forever. We have this amazing Savior that changes everything, and that's the reality that should define our lives. That's the reality that should be the anchor for our souls. And when we see that, and we're constantly reminded of it, we see the glory of this promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a call to worship. It is a reminder that there is this eternal rest that waits for us all, this opportunity to enter into this new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, where he will be our God and we will be his people and we will worship him forever. No more exhaustion, no more tears, no more pain. We dwell with the Lord. Psalm 23 begins and ends with Yahweh. It's about worship. That's what we're created to do. Busyness distracts us from it. So we have to create that rhythm. We have to create those intentional moments where we get to see once again the character of our God from a personal viewpoint, right? Where we get to see how he, he guides us, how he leads us, how he takes care of us. And in that care and in that provision and in that protection, the overflow of our hearts well up with the beauty of this gospel, that his goodness and his love pursue us and we are his forever. And so let me say one last thing. As we close this time, the invitation is very simple. If you're busy, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're lacking that rhythm, it's very simple. Look to Christ and hear him say once again, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we confess, Father, that so many times in our lives we get distracted by the busyness of our schedules. And so I pray that, that each of us would be able to find the time to just see you as the shepherd and the king that you are. And we would be able to just respond to the fact that that you desire us to rest. 
So help us be in this present moment, Father. Whatever awaits us on the other end of the service, continue to keep it out of our minds and our hearts and our souls and let us just be before you. Quiet our hearts, quiet our souls and help us to worship you once again, being swept away in the reality that your goodness and your love never leave us. You never forsake us and you are always with us. We thank you for this time and we commit it to you in the strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. So here's how we're going to respond today. Uh, we're going to rest. And so rather than asking you to stand and sing and possibly walk down an aisle or any of those things, we'll do that here in just a minute. Uh, but we have a song that we're going to sing over you that reiterates these truths. And so I'm going to ask you to do whatever you feel like the Lord is leading. This is between you and the Lord. If you want to sit and just listen and read the words, you can do that. If you need to close your eyes and continue to pray, then continue to pray. But just stop and be still and embrace this rest. And after we've had a chance to sing, I'll come back up and offer a quick word of invitation, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. But in this moment, let us respond to this truth by resting our souls in the presence of an almighty God. shepherd and I shall not want. Oh, my Lord, besides still waters, you repair my heart. I trust in you. Oh, I trust in you. Even though I walk through the valley of death, you restore my soul and you give me rest. Oh, the memories of your faithfulness, you restore my soul and you give me rest. You restore my soul and you give me rest. Give me rest Oh my Lord You prepare a table for you trust in you even though I walk through the valley of death you restore my soul and you give me rest oh the memories of your faithfulness you restore my soul and you give me rest you restore my soul and you give me Give me rest. I will fear no evil for you're here with me. 
goodness and your love they will never leave just a closer walk with thee just a closer walk just a closer walk with thee just a closer walk even though i walk through the valley of death you restore my soul and you give me rest oh the memories of your faithfulness you restore my soul and you give me rest you restore my soul and you give me That's the call. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. So what does that look like for you this week? Make that commitment today. Carve out that time to be with your Lord, to be with your shepherd, and to see his provision and his protection. And the beauty of being in that restful moment of seeing his goodness and his love pursue you. That's what we were created to do, to worship him and to achieve that posture. So as we close today, I do want to offer a time of invitation. Uh, if you have a decision that you want to make public today, then we want to celebrate that with you. Uh, obviously, this is not the only way to join the church, but sometimes people want to make that public and come forward. And so if you want to join the church, we want to invite you to do so now. Uh, others of you, man, maybe you've never had the chance to truly put your trust and rest your heart in this gospel. And if that's something you want to make known, and we want to celebrate that with you. And so you can come forward for that as well. But always, we want to pray for you. And so if there's something going on in your life that you just need to be lifted up for, then we want to do that as well. But we're going to ask you to stand, and Matt's going to sing this chorus a couple more times, give you the opportunity to do that. And once we're done, we'll offer a word of benediction. So why don't you stand together and let's sing. Even though I walk through the valley of death, you restore my soul and you give me rest. Oh, the of your faithfulness you restore my soul and you give me rest you restore my soul and you give me rest even though well even though I walk through the valley of death you restore my soul and you give me rest oh the memories of your faithfulness my soul and you give me rest you restore my soul and you give me rest with that being said father we pray that we would run to you father that you would lead us once again to green pastures father that we would rest in your arms by the quiet waters you would restore our soul Father, that we would see how you comfort us even in the darkest days in the presence of our enemies, that you are enough and you are sufficient. 
Father, in that resting, with a full view of you as our shepherd, we celebrate this goodness and love that pursues us. We seek to dwell in your midst and worship you today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys go in peace. We'll see you next week. What you got?